What's up, people? Another episode of Justice Forge. I'm OK Davis here with you. I uh, hope you are doing well. Some breaking news as I was going through my rundown for today. The big news that Sean Payton is stepping away from the Saints. Uh, how could you not? And I'll tell you why. We'll get into that. We'll also talk about the Australian Open and what I see is a little bit of a stretch by the uh, one of the rising stars in tennis that, you know, I don't know, yesterday just seemed like it just wasn't his day. We'll talk about that. And we will get into some of the rumors and news that we are hearing in the NBA as the trade deadline is inching closer and closer. Every time I check Twitter or go online and I'm reading stories, you know, across the different sports platforms, it's like, oh, this player wants to be traded here and there, and this player's not happy with the direction of the team, et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot of rumors. And uh, it could, you know, if a good amount of these come true, it could shake, it could shake up the NBA and uh, we'll see what happens. And of course, I'm going to talk about the weekend in the National Football League. This weekend was the greatest weekend ever in my mind in football history. Football history. But one game. One game was not quite the best ever in that team's history. And I'll get into that. But first, I'm going to start with the Australian Open a little bit. I don't know what it is. And I feel like I know tennis. Unlike my tweet about the NHL All-Star game when I was like, man, I don't know most of the players on this list. I still know the majority of the players on the men's and women's side of tournament. But I've had such bad luck with my picks, whether I'm picking for an American player to win or against the Americans thinking that, hey, this is their, you know, last game before they get eliminated. I'm an over, over four. Every time I count somebody out, they win. So maybe I need to do the opposite of what I say I'm going to do. Uh, the last pick I made that went against me. Uh, was, and I was actually really happy for her, but Madison Keys is going to the semifinals of the Australian Open. She beat Barbara Krejcikova. I thought Krejcikova would win in three sets, and she ended up losing. And Good for Madison Keys. Good for Madison Keys. But I just, there's something about where we are with tennis right now that, you know, I know it's never 100% mainstream that everyone's talking about it. But I have been enjoying the tournament, even watching a little bit of doubles and the excitement out of uh, Nick Kyrgios, who's in the semifinals of the Australian Open doubles, which is, is kind of neat. It's kind of neat. But not many people are paying attention to it. I know that. Um... But I would definitely say that this is Rafa Nadal's tournament to lose. He beat Denis Shapovalov 
in five sets yesterday. I think he has a little bit of a renewed energy without Novak's Joe COVID, as the hashtag called him, but Novak Djokovic not being in the tournament. Nick Kyrgios has some strong words for other players in the tournament for not sticking up for Novak Djokovic, which I think is a mistake. Um, no, they're, they, as, if anything, like Naomi Osaka said when they asked her about it, like, what do you want to hear from me? Now, granted, I know why they want to hear from, from her and other, you know, players on the tour on both the men's and women's side, but I could get the, like, hey, I just want to stay out of it. Look, they said you got to be vaccinated. If you think about the sacrifice that all of these players are taking, and oh, well, Novak is concerned about what's being put in his body, and you think the other players are not? Everybody is. But maybe you got to make a sacrifice for the greater good of what you want to do as a player that you're willing to get the shot, but also for the greater good of the tournament that you say, yeah, I'll get the shot. Everybody else has gotten it. Everybody else is going to play. It seems to be okay. I imagine you can't say that Novak thinks about his body more than Rafa or Stefano Sitsipas on the men's side, and obviously women's player as well, as well. But like, come on. This isn't just about you. But what it is about right now is Rafa Nadal sees a chance for him to be, to sit atop in a lone the the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of the greatest tennis players of all time. If he gets to 21 before Novak, there's no guarantee that Novak will get to 21. One, you know, father time could, could make that a possibility. Although I would hate to see that happen. But, you know, look, Serena Williams still chasing Margaret Court. She may not ever get it. She may be done. But especially if Novak decides, hey, I'm still going to be unvaccinated. We already heard the French Open say, well, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you can't play there either. Wimbledon may say the same thing. U.S. Open may say the same thing. You only got four chances to win it. You already lost one. So you're down to three. Really down to two if the French stand strong. Stay firm. But the other story in tennis is Denis Shapovalov was upset saying that the umpires are corrupt. He was playing in the Australian Open, and he had a really, really bad first game, or excuse me, first set. He lost 6-3. And it was really weird how he just kind of lost. It wasn't like there was a point that was given to Nadal randomly. He got upset because he felt like Nadal was taking a little bit too much time to put on his wristbands. And yes, Nadal, uh, kind of like Naomi Osaka as well. And I'm sure there are other players, but they're the two most popular and two most prominent, at least playing in the Australian Well, we're playing the Australian Open for Naomi Osaka. But, you know, they kind of go through their routine. And, you know, there's a clock that you're supposed to be ready to play by. And... You know, Shapovalov wasn't happy about it. He called the umpires corrupt. 
And it was crazy because, you know, Shapovalov felt like he started the clock too early and then he was ready to serve, but Nadal was still taking his time and he got all upset. And then it went on later when then, you know, again, Rafa was going through his routine. There were still eight seconds on the clock and the, the, uh, Shapovalov started looking at the umpire. He's like, what are you looking at me for? There's still eight seconds left on the clock. He's got eight seconds to finish getting ready. And I know it's crazy that I'm bringing up tennis first when I just talked about how maybe not it's not even a tournament or the, the sport that you necessarily are paying attention to on a regular basis. But let me tell you something. One, as far as this is a show being on the Props Network, people do bet on tennis, especially women's tennis. It is heavily bet on. So you best believe it is something that people are paying attention to. And in my mind, I think there's a real chance to make some money. A lot of games that you can bet on. But we're not even talking about that. I'm talking about right now more about the interesting thing about the shot clock. A clock being put in sports. And how tennis has a clock. Basketball has a clock. Football has a clock. They want to bring in a pitch clock for baseball. I love clocks. And the funny thing is, I the one clock that I don't agree with is the running clock in soccer. That's the only one I don't get. Because you end up adding it on the back end with, stop it, with stoppage time. It seems rather arbitrary. If there's an injury... Why can't you just stop the clock? That's the one I don't get. Okay, what? You didn't want commercials? You worried about commercials? I don't get it. You can't have timeouts? I don't I don't understand it. I love clocks. But I can imagine it's hard to get used to a clock or you know, it can get a little arbitrary when it gets to zero. We're watching a couple of the football games where I felt like actually it's a couple of Steelers games where I felt like uh, you could have called. You could have pulled out the, the yellow flag on an opponent when it was like clearly past zero. Maybe. Maybe. A delay a game. It happens a lot. Nadal said, I honestly feel sorry for him. I think he played a great match for a long time. Of course, it's tough to accept to lose a match like this, especially if I was feeling destroyed and probably he felt that then I was able to manage to win, win the match. So he was happy about winning. Chapovalov went, off to, went on to say, I think I misspoke when I said Bernardes is corrupt or whatever I said. It's definitely emotional but I do stand by my side. I think it's unfair how much Rafa is getting away with. Where's the line? I respect everyone that Rafa has done, and I think he's an unbelievable player, but there's got to be some boundaries, some rule set. It's just so frustrating as a player. You feel like you're not just playing against the player. You're playing against the empires. You're playing against so much more. I'm sorry. I think that's, I think that's just BS. When I was watching the match live, I was like, what is he complaining about? It's not that big of a deal. Realistically, you probably need to calm yourself a little bit more and not think about the clock as much. Because like I mentioned that second time, you obviously got it wrong. You got it wrong. You got it wrong. 
One thing I don't think I got wrong, you probably didn't get wrong. We all knew going into the divisional playoff that this was, we all wanted a great weekend of football. And we got it. We got one of the best, best weekends ever. It was the greatest weekend in NFL playoff history in my mind. It really was. Because I feel like you can't say, oh, it was better than like a regular season. Like, no, there's just way too many games. That doesn't count. All right, we're not going to get into that. And I know it's already Tuesdays after the game. So it's not like I'm talking about anything that maybe, you know, you feel like, oh, I've had, I've had enough. I've heard enough about the scores. But no way. You couldn't have possibly. You're probably still talking to your friends about how exciting it was. And how you hope, as I hope, that the AFC and NFC Championship and the Super Bowl are going to be just as exciting. I'm going to go down the line starting with Saturday's games. Just a few things that I was really excited about. Some observations that I have about it, about the games. First one, Tennessee Titans. And I bring up the Tennessee Titans too, because let me tell you something. Ain't nobody going to remember the Titans. No one. They're done. Okay, you could say next year would be better. But then remember the Bills and Chiefs game that just happened? Remember they played last year in the AFC Championship? Who won both games? Chiefs. Don't think, oh, oh, but Derrick Henry was hurt. Nope. Tennessee had home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs. And they lost at home to who they? The Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I personally think the biggest issue with what happened in this game is as much as you like to think that the team who gets the bye is better off in football, I say no. I say no. Both teams that were resting during the wild card weekend lost. The Green Bay Packers and the Tennessee Titans. Because I think they lost their mojo. They lost their momentum. It was gone. It was over. Now, when I go back to Tennessee, because it's not like Cincinnati had a great game either. One by a field goal. The thing is, I think the Tennessee Titans, they lost their identity because they were trying to work in arguably the greatest running back this past season. I know you had Jonathan Taylor too. Derrick Henry, I mean, man, that guy can run up. And, whoo! He's really good. But I think in trying to work him back into the game, I feel like Tennessee lost a little bit of the identity. They lost a little bit of their momentum going into the playoffs, maybe. That's, that, that's my take on it. That unfortunately, what you had is a Ryan Tannehill who had, I mean, 
you're playing a team in the Bengals who were 0-7 on the road in the playoffs. And they march into Tennessee and get the win. And it's funny because I actually was in Tennessee two days before the start of the NFL season, and they lost the home opener. I was like, man, that's, that's tough. And then they lose the first game, and then they lose the final game of their season at home. Ryan Tannehill, three interceptions, that's not good. You can't turn the ball over. But to me, even the last interception, you know, the receiver, I don't know, was up in the shoulder a little bit, but, you know, he didn't catch it. It bounces up in the air. Cincinnati gets it, marches down the field, kicks a field goal. Evan McPherson was... McFearless, if you will. He was great. Because there wasn't a lot of offense in this game. Evan McPherson, four for four. I like that name, Evan McFearless. Or Evan McFearless, son? Do you want to say that? I don't know. Four for four. He really was, in my mind, the MVP. Joe Mixon, yes, he did score a run it rushing touchdown. But only rushed for 54 yards. This was not a great game by either offense. But who they? Well, we know who they are now. And they're looking good. And the three J's, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Man, it's going to be a great game next weekend against Kansas City. I think it's going to be amazing. Next game up. I got to admit, all right, I was I was pleased. I was pleased that the 49ers beat the Packers. No, that wasn't a great offensive game either. But for all of the talk about the greatness of Aaron Rodgers and obviously this offseason fussing about, am I going to come back or not? Maybe I just want to be a Jeopardy host. And then obviously he got mixed in with all of the anti-vax and lying about his immunization. Some people are calling him Karen Rodgers. But Aaron Rodgers is home. He's home now. And I know everybody, I was sweating it. When Green Bay scored that first touchdown, 7 0, I was like, oh, please, no, 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 no. And this wasn't a great game by the 49ers either. No, it was not. But they came up big when they had to in that fourth quarter, scoring 10 points. My guy, Debo, Samuels, Trent Williams. They're getting it done. Aaron Rodgers 0-4 in his career versus the 49ers in the playoffs. First QB to lose four playoff starts to one team in NFL history. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Karan. No, Garoppolo wasn't great. He was not great. But it was great to watch. And if there's any indication of what may happen in what's going to be, a, I think, a great NFC championship as well. In six of the eight postseason matchups between the 49ers and Packers, the winning team lost in the following game, which means the 49ers lost four straight, the last four games. That's what that means. 
because they tried to be like, oh, yeah, but the Packers won some too. Yeah, I mean, let's focus on the Aaron Rodgers years. 30 years. That was another tweet I saw. 30 years. In the years that Brett Favre was the Green Bay quarterback, Green Bay Packers quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers, they have two Super Bowls to show for it, one each, for two of what's considered, what, the greatest quarterbacks of all time, two of them, that's possible. But one narrative that I was tired of hearing and I felt like they kept getting it wrong and I felt like the one guy I'm going to bring up, there's no doubt that he probably got it wrong, which by the way, let me give a shout out to uh, Solid Gould, Robbie Gould, good as Gould, whatever you want to call him. He was a beast. He kicked a game-winning field goal for the 49ers. Didn't make, didn't want to make sure, make sure I didn't leave him out, you know? But everybody kept talking about this coaching tree of Jay Gruden's. That, oh man, you got Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur and McVay, Sean McVay, all coaching in the playoffs, the NFC playoffs. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. This coaching tree was not from Jay Gruden. These guys came from Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's dad. Don't get it twisted. All right. The fans in Washington. Yeah, we all want to say, man, if we could have just kept one of those guys instead of Jay Gruden, maybe the franchise would be in a different place. I agree with that. But if you look at the history of what happened and why those coaches left, there really wasn't likely that any of the three of them were going to stay because of where they were within the organization necessarily. But that coaching tree came from Mike Shanahan, not Jay Gruden. Don't give him that much credit. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's just, just too much credit. Too much credit. Now, I have to get credit to... I gave a shout out to Casey Phillips. I was had on my Bucks gear on Sunday for that big game. And I was bummed because I felt like I jinxed the Bucks. They were down 27 to 3. But I'm watching the game. And sure enough. Here comes Tom Brady and the Bucks. Matt Stafford, he did what he was supposed to do. I will say that the game definitely was different because Tom Brady did not have his offensive line intact, and I think that played into what was going on with the Bucks. But I guess at the same time, you could say, yeah, but he scored 27 unanswered points. When they tied the game, first of all, the fact that you can't write a script better. We get a fumble by the Rams, which was like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? It was Van Jefferson, I think, that fumbled. It's like, oh boy, here we go. Brady and the Bucks were coming back. They're down 27 to 20. And unfortunately, it was a brilliant call on fourth and inches for Fournette to bounce outside to score the touchdown, but you gave 
too much time to the Rams. And the Cooper Cup runneth over. Because for some reason, the defense of the Buccaneers decided, oh, we don't need to really key in on Cooper Cup. Yeah, you did. I don't understand how he was that wide open in the fourth quarter twice to get them within field goal range to win the game. It made no sense whatsoever. And I'm bummed out because I only get a shout out to Matt Gay, another field goal, game winning field goal. But I'm also bummed out because, dad, that's kind of messed up. A former family member in Todd Bowles, who's a defensive coordinator for the Bucks. My family, we were texting back and forth like, Dad, we feel for we feel for Todd. He kind of blew it. He kind of blew it, and that was sad. But Cooper Cup, who's had an historic season as a football player, historic. He was the best wide receiver in the NFL this year. What was he doing so wide open? I don't know, but the cup runneth over. The Tampa Bay defense, they kick the field goal, win the game 30-27. And now we got the matchup. Actually, I do like this matchup. It has a little bit of added drama to it that I think really could make the NFC Championship one of the best ever based on what's happened during the regular season between the Rams and the 49ers. And I'll get to my gut check picks on Thursday, but I'm really, really looking forward to that game. And I'm torn because I got to root for, which I know you're going to be like, what do you mean? Why do you have to root for Trent Williams and Debo Samuel? Well, I worked on a documentary about Trent Williams that's out now on Apple TV, Silverback, the Trent Williams story, if you want to check it out. But during the course of the, um, we had a screening for the documentary, um, I got to hang out. It was in Houston. I got to hang out with Debo Samuels and James Harden, Lil Wayne at a private concert for everybody. I mean, that was a great night. But Debo Samuels was pretty cool. And now my son, you know, I you know, I kind of showed him some pictures from the night. He's like, yeah, that's the guy playing football right now. So now he's always like, that's Debo's team. So that's kind of funny. But then on the flip side, while I don't know him personally, I am rooting for Aaron Donald. He's arguably maybe will go down as the greatest Defensive player for the University of Pittsburgh, my alma mater, and he plays on the Rams. So I'm rooting for him. Kind of rooting for Odell Beckham. I mean, everybody said he was washed up, and the Browns tried to blame everything on Odell Beckham. And look where Odell Beckham is, one game away from the Super Bowl. And y'all wanted to say it was Odell Beckham's fault. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Nothing. I'm going to talk about one more game. And that game was really the best game of the weekend. The Kansas City Chiefs just tore the heart out of the Buffalo Bills. And that was the best game of the weekend. 
But it wasn't the most heartbreaking game if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, and I know you're probably hurting right now. But really, come on. You know the worst game was Scott Norwood wide right. That was the worst loss in Bills history. This was not. This was not. And the reason why it wasn't, because it wasn't the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl lost. They lost four straight Super Bowls. Wide right, Scott Norwood, that's the worst. And you know it. And I feel for you. You thought you were so close to another AFC championship. I mean, the back and forth. I mean, the, the number of points scored in the last two minutes of the game in overtime was ridiculous. And it was amazing to see the future of the NFL. Well, not the future, but I mean, because they're actually playing right now. But it was just amazing. And I think the crop of quarterbacks right now, beginning with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. I mean, I feel like, unfortunately, Russell Wilson gets lost in like he's, I guess he's one of the older generations, but he's still playing. I feel like I put him in that Drew Brees category, maybe. But to think that, oh my gosh, in the fourth quarter. And really, if we're looking, you know, I'm sure you looked at the play-by-play, -play, you were like, wait a minute, what are, you, what are you talking about? The back and forth in the fourth quarter was ridiculous. It was just, it was just the greatest game to watch. A field goal by Kansas City, then a touchdown by the Bills, then a touchdown by Kansas City, then a touchdown by the Bills. I mean, the last minute of the game, two touchdowns and a field goal was just, it was, it was great. And then Patrick Mahomes in overtime, they get the ball first and take it all the way down the field and score and win the game. I really felt for the Bills there. I really did. The Bills are 0-4 in role playoff games under head coach Sean McDermott. Undefeated at home. Tyreek Hill was ridiculous. And he wasn't even by far the best wide receiver in the game. He was not. That goes to a Davis no relation, but I really want his jersey. Gabriel Davis, eight catches, 201 yards, and four touchdowns on 10 targets. Davis was a beast. He was a beast. Not great rushing game out of the Bills when you think about Josh Allen was the leading rusher at 68 yards. It was the same for the Chiefs too. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was not bad with 60, but Patrick Mahomes had 69 yards on seven attempts. 
It was the greatest game. And the biggest gesture, gesture of Patrick Mahomes running down the field to hug Josh Allen in the middle of him kind of celebration, celebrating and the euphoria of it was, was really neat. It was cool. It shows the kind of respect that they have for each other and that Patrick Mahomes in the moment realized, hey, you know, while I'm enjoying this game, I've got to pay my respects in a way to Josh Allen because he played an amazing game too. I mean, to see the up and down of that game was just epic. Epic, epic, epic. Now, what I wouldn't necessarily call epic in terms of his coaching career, but the breaking news that I was recording that Sean Payton is stepping away from the Saints. He won one Super Bowl with Drew Brees as the quarterback. And, you know, as I was thinking about his career and really feeling like, you know what, he really got out at the right time. He probably didn't enjoy this year without Drew Brees. I know that there were some rumors going around that I think it actually might have been the Saints too, but some other teams were trying to see if Drew Brees would come back. He didn't. Now, I didn't think Jameis Winston was that bad. He wasn't awful. But I think also, reading between the lines, maybe there were some disagreements about, yeah, we should go ahead and pay Taysom Hill way too much money for a player that I was just like, wait, what? Why? What has Taysom Hill done that makes him worth 90, potentially making $90 million? You could have let him walk this offseason and said, you know what? We'll just figure it out in the draft. We'll find a free agent quarterback. We'll go back to Jameis Winston. Why in the world did you think, oh, Taysom Hill, he's our franchise quarterback. So in my mind, I'm just like, man, Sean Payton's getting out at the right time. He's getting out at the right time. And I, you know, I'm sure for all the Saints fans, who knows what the future holds? Who knows what the future holds for the Saints? Or for Sean Payton, for that matter. I mean, heck, the fact that he's stepping away, I give it, uh, I mean, it's too ridiculous to say a week. Maybe a month, two months before teams are like, well, do you think you want to come back and play for a different teams? I mean, he's been with the franchise for 16 years. He was suspended in 2012 because of the uh, bounty gate. But it's probably time. 
it's time for Sean Payton to march on out. I guess Sean Payton spent some time away from the game before he wanted to give uh, Saints owner Gail Benson and her family a decision. Because obviously, yes, he mentioned too, it affects a lot of people. He said, quote, I don't know what's next. End quote. I mean, you, know, look, you can read it yourself the different quote. The Saints have been amazing with Sean Payton. They rank first in NFL history in average points scored and yards games. Yards gained, excuse me. He has just been... He's just been, he's just been really good. I mean, even with Bounty Gate, I mean, that really was Greg Williams... I mean, yeah, he probably knew about it and wasn't happy about it and hoped it never came out, but that was really Greg Double G Williams. He's the winningest coach in Saints history, and he and Breeze got there together in 2006. They won their first Super Bowl in 2009, and I'm sure they would have liked to win more, but I mean, I just think overall he's a really good coach. I see him stepping away, like I said, one or two months. Maybe he'll get the itch. Maybe he'll somebody throw him the bag. Like John Gruden almost made it through his $100 million contract. I mean, if you got that kind of money, can you throw at Sean Payton $120 million? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You know who I'm thinking of? That Washington football team getting a new new name for the team, maybe a new arena down the road. Maybe you give it a year. Riverboat Ron, you're like, uh, we'll take Sean Payton. I'll take Sean Payton. If they're the Washington Commanders, I'll let Sean Payton command the Washington Commanders. We got to have it. But I don't know if we'll get it. It would be nice, though. It would be nice. What will be, I say, probably one of the wildest trade deadlines ever? I think you could see a lot of moves. I think you could see a lot of moves. The biggest move may happen in the offseason as I was reading about James Harden maybe leaving the Nets, maybe end up reuniting with Daryl Morey and the Sixers, and that'll be the new the new team. James Harden and Joel Embiid. We'll see. Jeremy Grant's on the trading block in Detroit. There's a lot of, uh, to take a line from South Park, activity. 
But this trade deadline, yes, it's it's going to be interesting. And I'm curious what teams in, you know, the top teams may also be in that. Now, I think Bismack Biombo has played great for the Suns. He'll get beyond that 10-day contract, I would think. The Golden State Warriors, I think they'll stand pat. Grizzlies. I mean, really, Heat, Bucks, Bulls may need a point guard. Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball are out. Zach Levine came back, which is good. But realistically, the one of the top teams that I think, really, they need to be doing something, but I don't know if they're going to do something, is Joel Embiid and the 76ers. If you want to salvage this team, Joel Embiid really needs to speak up and say, no, you got to get him out of here before this trade deadline. He's got to go. Now, the funny thing is, as I've always said, the player that should be swapped, I think the best swap is a Kyrie Irving for Ben Simmons. Who knows what that does to James Harden? Or heck, maybe it does nothing. Maybe James Harden's like, that's cool. Kyrie and me and Joel Embiid in Philly. That's the new trifecta. That's a possibility. I could see the Washington Wizards trading Bradley Beal. They aren't going anywhere. I get Beal saying, hey, I want to stay. I want to build something here. This team said they want to build around me. But they can't. I think realistically, Bradley Beal is close. No, probably it's unfair. I'd probably get killed for saying close. He's not close to Steph Curry or Klay Thompson. And where I'm going with this is if we go down the list of the teams, Phoenix Suns, even though he's hurt, you got DeAndre Ayton. Hey, you got JaVale McGee. Bring him back to the Wizards. You need a solid big man, a real legitimate big man. Golden State Warriors, you've got two of the best point guards ever, best backcourt backcourt duo in my mind in Clay and Steph. But you got Draymond Green. He can play big. Because Draymond Green is great defensively. Memphis Grizzlies. They don't have a big man. But I think if you look at the big men that the Wizards have. I think Steven Adams. As a big man who can be an enforcer in the middle. He might be up there. He might be better than what the Wizards have to offer. Miami Heat. Bam Adebayo. Come on. We know what they've got. Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis. He may not be great, but the Chicago Bulls. Nikola Vucevic. They realize we needed a big man. Sixers. Joel Embiid. Jazz. Rudy Gobert. Mavericks. 
not so much with KP, Kristaps Porzingis, but he's still a pretty serviceable big man. I would say if you, again, you looked at the Wizards roster, you take Kristaps over the big men in Washington, but I don't know if he's a difference maker. I think that's a weakness of the Brooklyn Nets not having a big man, but they've got Kyrie and James Harden and Kevin Durant, so they're doing okay. Denver Nuggets, Nikola Jokic. I think you could go Miles Bridges, Pascal Siakam, Cat in Minnesota, Anthony Davis with the Lakers, Boston Celtics, not so much, Cleveland Cavaliers, okay. Maybe it's a little bit of a stretch or a surprise to you. But they got Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Solid, solid big men. And that's what I think when I look at my home team. I think that that's what they're lacking. Bradley Beal can't do it all. I think Kyle Kuzma's okay. But nobody scares you. Power forward and up. Who they have? Montrez Harrell, he doesn't scare me. Daniel Gafford, he doesn't scare me. Thomas Bryant, no. They're serviceable. But if any team needs to decide, hey, are we in or out? The Wizards are probably on the out. Nobody really is trading for any of their players. Maybe Cal Kuzma, maybe Spencer Dinwiddie. That's probably about it. That's really probably about it. So once again, the Wizards are stuck. Another 500 team. Bradley Beal, if he wants to, he can get his bag. Make his $250 million and stay on a mediocre team. And that's probably will be what will happen. Now, the other team that I think could make a big move in the Western Conference is the Los Angeles Lakers. One game under 500. There's all of the talk about is Russell Westbrook the right fit for this team. He may not be. He may not be. But I know a player out there who's just sitting around waiting for the right opportunity. And that player's John Wall. Why not? Russell Westbrook for John Wall. I think contract-wise, it's almost an even swap, right? You get a younger point guard. I don't think you have to change the way that you are playing as a team compared to the way I feel like they had to change for Russell Westbrook when he's on the court. And I just, you know, there's just already been some bad blood. I mean, it'd be crazy to think in less than two seasons, John Wall and Russell Westbrook can get traded again for each other. That is kind of crazy. But I mean, it's also sickening to think that, I mean, I looked at the Houston, I was like, you're playing DJ Augustine, but yet your 
And I mean, even Eric Gordon, although he's not a point guard, but your reasoning at the beginning of the season for why you weren't playing John Wall was like, oh yeah, we, we kind of want to go young. This is a new team. Nah, I'm not buying that. John Wall, Russell Westbrook, even swap. They both make 44 million plus per se- a season. So you get your 44 million, boom. Both teams get to wash their hands of the point guard. Let's move on. And I think it'll kind of give a jolt to the Lakers. John Wall loves L.A. I think he'd give up his Miami home to just stay in L.A. That would be the trade. That would be a really, really, really good trade. We'll see if it happens. Trade deadline's not that far away. Not that far away. Man, that'd be amazing. All right, that'll do it for Just for Sport. Hopefully, I'll turn it around with my daily pick. Man, struggling. Speaking of picks, check out Prize Pick. Daily Fantasy Sports. Use the link in the description below. Check out Prize Picks. Promo code J, letter J, number four, sport. That's the code. Deposit $100. A hundred percent match on that deposit. First deposit, then start playing. You can mix and match some over unders, points, prize picks. Check it out. That'll do it for just for sport. I'm Jamal K. Davis. To the window. Ciao for now. Are you looking for a better way to play player props or daily fantasy sports? Well, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the leading over under daily fantasy game. Why? Because it's so easy to use and win. You can make your picks in under 30 seconds and win up to 10 times your money in one day. Right now, we have a special offer for our viewers and listeners of the Just for Sport podcast. All you have to do is sign up now and use the promo code J for Sport, and Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Yep. That's right, they'll match your first deposit up to $100. So, join the over 150,000 others who found a better way to play and download the PrizePix app today.